It's time for the Crunch Time Plays podcast, where we talk all things sports from the collegiate level all the way up to the pros. And now, here's your host, Bennett Ganey. What's up, y'all? What's up, this is Andrea Carter. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Crunch Time Plays today. Whether you're watching us on YouTube, listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, thanks so much. And we're headed towards SEC Media Days. We got it next week, and we've got one of the one of the guys that, that covers Alabama and Auburn as good as anybody covers the rest of the SEC as well. And that's Pat Smith, co-host of Three Man Front. Pat, what's up, brother? What's up, Bennett? How you doing, brother? Yeah, I'm doing all right. It's a pleasure to to have you back. I know you you were on, you know, as we as we were first starting uh, this show up. So really appreciate you always being a, a loyal guest of the show, man. Oh, hey, listen, not only a loyal guest, but a loyal viewer and listeners. So you do a great job. So just proud to be back on. And we got SEC Media Days coming up. So yeah, man, we're we're excited. We're pumped down here in Birmingham. Hey, there's no doubt about that. I know you guys are are really pumped to to be in Bur- You know, you guys are already in Birmingham, pumped up to be at the hotel uh, next week for SEC Media Days. Really feeling the excitement because, like we talked about uh, before we started recording, I think it's going to be one of the most anticipated seasons as far as a fan standpoint. Oh yeah, I, I think the top's going to come off. You know, watching the uh, Major League Baseball All Star Game home run derby the other night, fifty thousand plus, shoulder to shoulder. Just waiting back to get those hundred thousand folks in Bryant Denny or down at Kyle Field or up on Rocky Top. So yeah, we're we're excited and it's gonna it's the official or the unofficial kickoff of the SEC football season next week in Birmingham. And it's gonna be a lot of fun and seeing a lot of people like yourself uh, who cover the game on a daily basis. It's just gonna be a really nice normal thing to do as opposed to what we went through last year. But thankful we had a season in anyway. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about that. Really, really watching uh, Pete Alonzo the other night in that in that home run derby, putting on a show. A SCC guy got you even more pumped up for that. I kept I kept of, waiting for the Coors Field crowd to go SEC SEC, but I, I I didn't hear it. Did not did not hear it. Maybe it was a Bronx cheer. I don't know. <laughs> well, we're certainly pumped up for for the SEC. And and Pat, I wanted to start off with you just kind of talking about kind of diving into the West a little bit to start off with. It seems like it's speaking of the SEC West, it's a wild West kind of this year. Now Alabama's reloading. Of course, we don't ever want to bet against Nick Saban and the, and the job that he's doing with, with Bryce Young and and as the quarterback in that program down there uh, in Tuscaloosa. But, but there's really no cakewalk for the SEC West in any game this year. You know, you talk about LSU, they're going to rebound. They got two new coordinators Coach O, you know, kind of admitting last year that there may be, you know, some things that, that didn't go his way that he wanted to, to make right this year. And, and Texas A&M, of course, is still on the rise with Jimbo, kind of almost made the college football playoff last year. Auburn's got a new head coach in Brian Harson, some excitement. And, and Ole Miss, Mississippi State and Arkansas, three teams that are, that are going to be on the rise. There, there are no weeks off uh, in the SEC West. It seems like they – they not only are they the best division in college football, but they also have the best coaches in the country now. Well, there's no question. I, I mean, it's a gauntlet every year in the SEC West. And, and you look at what Alabama's been able to do really since Nick Saban got to Tuscaloosa, not only vying for a national championship, but dominating most of the time the SEC West. So, you know, a coach coming in to this side of the conference, like a Jimbo Fisher, a lot of people are expecting Jimbo to, to live up to a $7.5 million contract. Texas A&M, a lot of guys are gone, but who are they going to replace at Kellen Mond? That's going to be a big question. But Isaiah Spiller, outstanding running back. Many people believe that he might be the number one back in the SEC this year. Had some offensive line guys leave, but they had four guys decide to come back as super seniors on the defensive side of the ball. So Texas A&M, especially with Bama coming to Kyle Field on October 9th, that's a big one, and a lot of people are circling that nationally saying, you know, this could be the time for Jimbo Fisher. I mean, they have to beat Alabama to get to Atlanta, and so that's their main goal this year is to be able to put themselves in a position to take that next step forward because no question they had a, a well of a 2020. Well, that was actually going to be my next question was about Alabama possibly, you know, slipping up during the regular season this year. I know we're, I know we're used to – Alabama, Nick Saban running through the 
running through the West, running through the rest of the SEC, getting to the college football playoff. But this year, it really seems like they really do have some legitimate opportunities to slip up during the regular season. They're talking about going to Florida. So it's obviously a team that's reloading, but a team that's very dangerous at home. Ole Miss, I don't think, is there yet. You get them in Tuscaloosa. But, of course, Lane Kiffin, if they can even resonate a defense on the field this year, that's always going to be dangerous with Matt Corral and Jeff Levy leading the charge on the offensive side of the ball. Got to go to Mississippi State. Mike Leach is building that program. LSU, Arkansas, and Auburn at Auburn on the schedule. So it, it, do you possibly see a, a scenario where, where Alabama does slip up during the regular season, or do you think they kind of go on through 12-0, uh, and 0 to, marching towards that? probably that SEC title game with Georgia. Uh, I do see them going undefeated, Bennett. Um, I I would be lying if I said that I didn't think that there were going to be some games on that schedule that some Alabama fans might get nervous because who would have thought last year in Oxford, Mississippi would have been that game. The closest game that they played basically up until the SEC championship game till Florida made it a one-score game late, but it was Oxford, Mississippi. There was a lot of nervous people uh, during that game. It was going to be, all right, which – defense is going to actually step up and stop somebody to kind of change the momentum to the other side. And that's kind of what happened for Alabama. You look at their first game against Miami. Obviously, De'Eric King has gotten a lot of press, but the offensive line problems for Miami is really going to rear its ugly head against a very tough front four for Alabama. Alabama's defense this year is going to remind a lot of people about what Nick Saban's defenses used to be before all this crazy offense that you've seen. Alabama's defense is going to be ahead of their offense, especially at the first part of the season. So Miami doesn't bother me. Matter of fact, the people in Las Vegas think Alabama's an 18-and-a-half-point favorite against Miami, okay? So those guys kind of know what they're doing. They're about making money, right? So they they say Alabama's not going to have a problem in that game. Then you got to go to Florida. You know, is Emory Jones going to be the starting quarterback? Depending on who you talk to, he may not be the starting quarterback. Their defense was atrocious, you know, just terrible last year. And so then you you look at a situation, you know, can Florida, with the big three guns that they had on offense, who they're having to try to replace, you know, are they going to be able to step up and be able to compete against a very good Alabama defense? So those two games right off the top of my head, that's not going to be a problem. Ole Miss could be problematic just because it's Lane Kiffin and he's coming back to Tuscaloosa. Just you just never know. That's just that's Ole Miss and Tuscaloosa under Hugh Freeze and now under Lane Kiffin. You you just don't know. Um, but I'm going to point to something later in the season. They've got road games obviously on October 9th against Texas A&M, and then the very next week, I believe this is if I'm correct on this, Bennett. This will be the first time in in I think Alabama football history that they've played back to back road games in the SEC. Now, sometimes they've had a bye week, and then they've gone and played the next game on the road. But I think back-to-back weeks on the road in the SEC might be something that they've never done before. Yeah, I don't, you know, I, don't think, I don't. think they have. They go to Starkville. Now, again, we don't really know what you got with Mississippi State. You know, Will Rogers came on the last few weeks of the season. Again, who would have thought that they would have been in the game against Georgia in between the hedges? So, you just never know. Starkville's always been a – historic, crazy place for Alabama to go play. I'm not calling for an upset. I'm just saying that those two weeks are very interesting to me on Alabama's schedule. LSU coming to Tuscaloosa. And then, of course, you got the Iron Bowl at the end of the year. I I still believe Alabama will go undefeated. I do believe that there will be maybe a couple games where folks will be a little nervous going into the fourth quarter. But at the end of the day, Alabama will be able to carry that undefeated record into the SEC championship game against Georgia. Yeah, you know, Pat, I've kind of gone, I kind of gone, you know, back and forth a little bit, like kind of, kind of thinking, well, maybe Alabama will, will, will slip up, but, but you know that that defense is really uh, what what I got, you know, my eye on this year. I know Pete Golding, he's kind of gotten a little bit of slack uh, from the people, you know, around that program around Tuscaloosa, and, and quite frankly, a lot of a lot of national people as well, but. but I think people are having a hard time realizing that you're not beating people nine to six anymore. (laughs) Uh, You're, you're still, you're still, teams are still going to be scoring 28, 35 points a game on you, even if you got a, a really solid defense. But, but to me, adding uh, Henry Toa on that in the middle of that linebacking core, you got, 
Will Anderson on that defensive line. And then, you know, Jaquincy uh, Kool-Aid McKinstry is a guy that I think is really going to be able to step up as a true freshman in that secondary, play some meaningful snaps for Alabama. So I really do think, like you, I think this has got the potential to be one of one of Alabama's better defenses uh, to memory. Yeah, and you mentioned Will Anderson. You got Christian Harris. You got Henry Toa Toa, who's coming, obviously, from Knoxville. And then you've got guys at the star position like Branch and Malachi Moore. Malachi was uh, one of the, the all-freshman team in the SEC. Um, ag- again, Feldarian Mathis, LeBron Ray on the defensive line. Those guys can create havoc uh, to the opposition's O-line. So I think with the penetration that they will be able to get, the growing up of the secondary, the linebacker core, which has always been the staple of really good – Kirby Smart, Nick Saban-like defenses, you're going to see that again this year. And if they stay healthy, I think you're going to see the defensive unit really step up and really clamp it down against teams. I know we're in a new era, Bennett, in regards to the offenses, and I'm not saying that Bama's going to hold teams to 11 and 12 points because I think those days might be long gone. But when you got to stop teams on third down, and you got to get off the field and get your offense back on the field, I think that's where it's going to be the key. I mean, Nick Saban said in the offseason, all these people want to criticize what we did defensively last year. You know, yeah, we bent a little bit, but we never broke. And you saw against Georgia. I mean, Georgia was having their way in the first half. They made adjustments. Second half, they come out, boom, they put the clamp on them. They didn't, they didn't score. I'm just saying that Alabama's depth, especially defensively, it's going to come into play this year rather quickly, especially in that first game against Miami. So I think it's going to be a situation where Bama's going to rely on that. It's going to give the offense a little bit of time to grow with Brian Robinson in the backfield. They've got a really deep stable of running backs that even if something happens to Brian Robinson, you've got the next guy up or the next beast mode, so to speak, will will be coming up. So I think it just sets up for, for Bryce Young to be able to kind of handle what Bill O'Brien is going to give him and what Nick Saban expects. And from that standpoint, the defense will be able to kind of give them the luxury of, of maybe being able to stop a few more teams than they did last year. When it, it's, it's so interesting, Peg, because you bring up a great point about, about, about the quote that, that Nick Saban had to me, it, it kind of, we've kind of moved from the age of, Oh, we can't allow a first down. We can't allow guys to get past midfield when, when defenses are on the field to now, but, yeah, we're going to give up some yards. But as long as we can get off the field on third down, make some critical stops, get some turnovers, when we get in the red zone, you know, the pa- the passing lanes are going to condense. Let's get off the field and let's hold the, the offense to field goals. I think that's really what we're going to see from the Alabama defense this year. Yeah, and, again, I think Pete Golden, he was – he was criticized a good bit, especially after that Ole Miss game. But you saw how the defense performed after that. And this is a stat that will blow your mind. Alabama was second in America in the most plays played by defense. Now think about that. The second most in all of college football last year, that defense was on the field. They weren't the worst defense in America, statistically speaking. But play-wise, they had the second most plays faced as a defense last season because the offense scored so quick, you know? The, the offense would would put points on the board real quick, and then they'd have to turn around and get back on the field. So, you know, it, it's trying to limit, but the difference is this year there's more depth, defensively speaking, than what they had last year. Now, we've got injuries, we've got things that happen in football, and that possibly could be tested. But from the get-go, before fall camp begins, to me, this is going to be the major strength of this football team is their defense. Yeah, kind of the, the last thing I wanted to hit on on Alabama before we move into to the rest of the league is is offensively, the, the, nothing's gonna nothing's gonna gonna match Devontae Smith. I know we only had Jalen Waddle last year that that receiving core, but but this year with, with Bryce Young, you know, he's got a. He's got a very quick release. I think he's going to be able to to get the ball out of a lot of these great receivers and and adding Jamison Williams in the transfer portal from Ohio State. I think that was huge to to go along with Mechie and and Bolden and those guys on the 
on the outside. And then, and then a GA Hall is a guy that really came on during the spring, a freshman that that's going to play some meaningful snaps this year. But, but at tight, tight end, Jaleel Billingsley is a guy for Alabama that, that I've kind of uh, been kind of circled as a guy that, that I think is really going to break out. He's kind of, kind of come along a little bit incrementally uh, his first two years. But I think uh, with Bryce Young and, and this new offense, I think he really could be a potential to take the next step uh, in the passing game this year. Yeah, uh, Steve Sarkeesian, about midway through the season last year, um, he he told some guys uh, that was reporting on the games um, that Jaleel Billingsley was the guy that you need to pay close attention to because as the playbook continued – to evolve as the season went on with Alabama, especially after Waddle went down. Things kind of changed a little bit. Billingsley picked up an even bigger role on the football team. So did Mechie. And so that experience that they had last year, winning a national championship, having a perfect season, that is going to pay dividends big time. There's competition at the tight end position, okay? I mean, Alabama's got two, three deep on that position. Billingsley's coming in at number one, but I promise you there's going to be other guys that's going to be able to step up and step in and, and try to make a name for themselves. As, as we know, competition is good. There's plenty of it at Alabama, but I think Billingsley will be that first guy out of the gate at tight end for Alabama. Now, kind of, I definitely agree with that. And, and kind of looking at, at at what you think the rest of the West is going to look like, and then I want to uh, touch on Auburn specifically with you at the end of this West conversation. But but where do you kind of see A&M, LSU, Ole Miss, Auburn kind of falling in? Uh, to the West, where do you have them finishing? Uh, personally, for me, I've got I've got A and M coming in at two, and then LSU, Ole Miss, and Auburn. Just where do you kind of see the rest of the rest of the West checking in, and and what are some of the keys that are going to really decide that uh, order for some of those teams? Well, I agree with you. I think Texas A and M is going to be the team, especially next week. I mean, when we vote for the SEC teams of the year and in, in the pecking order. I definitely think it will be Alabama. It'll be Texas and it too. Three, four, five is where it's really going to be interesting to me. And of course, we never get it right in the media every year. I mean, it's it's historic. It's a fact. We very rarely get it right. But when you look at it, I would probably when I vote, I'm probably going to have to put LSU at three. There's just so much talent. Whether it's Brennan, whether it's Johnson at quarterback. You got Stingley on the defense. It's got too much talent on that on that field. I mean, just just top five in recruiting every year. I know they've got two new coordinators. That's going to be a big key. Um, their defense was just awful last season. You know, can they can they be better on that position with Pelini gone? I think the answer to that would be yes. So I'd have to put LSU at three. At four and five is when it gets starts getting really kind of hairy for me because. Auburn is going to have a competition at quarterback. Bo Nix, T.J. Finley, the transfer from LSU, he's going to come in, and I'm not saying he's going to win the job, but he's going to compete. And a lot of people's going to tell you that that's what Bo Nix has needed because there's really been nobody that's pushed him since he's been at Auburn. Now he's got some competition. Harson has made no bones about it that T.J. Finley is there to compete for the job. It's not like, hey – by the way, you're going to come back him up. You're going to come and you're going to take snaps and you're going to try to win this position. Tank Bigsby stays healthy. He had 800-something yards rushing last year before he got hurt towards the end of the year. He's, I think he's going to have a big year, maybe number one, number two back in the SEC. So I think Auburn is going to go back to the bread and butter of what a lot of older people used to think about Auburn football with Bo Jackson and you know just lining up and playing smash-mouth football. I think Auburn's going to – again, Auburn's – going to do a little bit more than that than, than what they've done in the past, but they're, but they're still going to throw the ball, okay, vertically down the field because that's the way Harson does it. But Ole Miss and Matt Corral, I just don't know if I have the guts, Bennett, to put Ole Miss ahead of Auburn just because Auburn's going to have a defense that's going to be able to stop people. And until Ole Miss can prove that they've improved on that side of the ball, and Matt, you know, hopefully Matt Corral, if you're an Ole Miss fan, doesn't throw six interceptions – you know, against Arkansas or five against LSU, whatever the case it was, you know, if he's able to contain himself and play within the offense, the confines that, that Lane Kiffin gives him, I still can't put them ahead of Auburn. So that that's where Ole Miss comes in at five. But when you say, oh, my gosh, fifth, 
my goodness, fifth might be the second best if you put them in the SEC East, you know? So so I've got Auburn at four, Ole Miss then, then I've got Mississippi State, and then i got Arkansas. Pittman's done a fantastic job. K.J. Jefferson's going to get an opportunity to quarterback at, at Arkansas. He's done really well in recruiting. It's just going to take a little time for them. Mississippi State, Will Rogers, um, the experience that he had at the end of last season, I think is going to pay dividends for them. Um, and I think folks was able to kind of see towards the back end of the season, if you're a Mississippi State fan, what's in store when things are working right. Um, but obviously you just can't put Mississippi State or Arkansas any higher than that. So for me, again, long answer to your short question, you know, after two, that three, four, five spot, depending on who knocks off who during the season, that might be the pecking order. But for me, I'm going LSU, Auburn, and Ole Miss, three, four, five. When it, and, and looking at kind of the gap uh, between what what would you say the gap would be at the end of the year when we get there? How does the gap narrow a little bit between Alabama, A&M, and LSU, or do you think that, that it's still going to be the same gap? It's, I mean, by the way, I want to uh, touch on Arkansas for a second. I love – Sam Pittman, I think he's going to do a great job. You know, they were underdogs in, in all 10 games last year and won three, should have won four of them. Yeah. And and he, he reminds me a lot alongside uh, Shane Beamer, who we'll get to in just a little bit on the on the east side there at South Carolina. He reminds me of what is great about college football, the culture fits uh, at, at different head coaching spots. But but kind of getting or getting back to the question the of AM and LSU, you know. Max Johnson's probably going to win the the LSU job. He's going to be a guy that, that that Jake Pete's and those guys on the offensive side of the ball are going to be able to count on. They have some weapons with with Boutte and those guys. But then then A and M they're they're replacing a lot of the offensive line. Obviously Jimbo's recruited very well. It's still still got Anaya Smith. Still, still got Jalen Watermeyer at tight end. But but at the end of the year, whenever we look back. Where where would you say the gap is probably going to be between Alabama, A and M, and LSU? Well, I think I think for LSU, it's going to be their defense. I think the defense will be better than last year, but it's not going to be the atypical LSU defense that you saw in years past, or even the national championship year a couple of years ago, even when they scored you know forty points a game. Um, for Texas A and M, I think the biggest difference between them. And in Alabama is going to be, again, that word defense. I think that's going to be the separation point. I think Bryce Young and the weapons that he has offensively outguns Texas A&M. Texas A&M has recruited brilliantly. They're going to continue to stockpile this talent. They're going to try to build that fence around the state of Texas, keep those guys in. But keep in mind, Alabama got the Brockermeyer brothers out of Texas. You know, the top center in America, the top, you know, guard in America, both from Texas, they came to Alabama. Their dad played at Texas and they were able to grab them out of the state. Um, another one of the top uh, players in the state of Texas decided to go to Alabama. So to me, it's the playmakers on offense. I think Alabama at the end of the end of the year will have a few more of those at their disposal than Texas A&M. But those three teams are going to really flex their muscle. I, I expect a, a big bounce back here for LSU because I will tell you, if he doesn't have that back bounce back here, then you're going to have a lot of people down there saying, what have you done for me lately? And I know a lot of people are going to say that, listen and watch this, how can you say that? They won a national championship just a couple seasons ago. I promise you, folks, in this league <laughs> – it's not what you did in the past. It's what you're going to do tomorrow. And if they don't have that confidence, they'll make a change. Yeah. Well, they're, they're certainly not, not going to be, they're certainly not going to, not going to wait around. Uh, if they, if they, if they falter, you know, like they did last year, personally, I don't, I don't see that happening, but if that yeah, happens, I mean, think about this, I mean, they gave up 35 points a game last year, LSU's defense. Look what Alabama did to them in the first half last year. I mean, so, again, do, do we think it's going to happen again this year? The answer to that is no, because if it does, we might be talking about you, you might have to have an emergency podcast with me, and it'll be, you know, hey, who's next at, at LSU because they just fired Coach O. I mean, you know. 
But we don't think that's going to happen. I think LSU will rebound. And I, I think at the end of the year, again, I just think – I think Bama will just have too many playmakers on both sides of the ball to, you know, make it difficult for those teams to, to try to unseat them on top of the West. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. They're, those three are – are the, are the class of the West right now, and they'll, they'll continue to be uh, for the next few years. But I did want to touch on – before we move on to the East, I did want to touch on Auburn, uh, Brian Harson and Bo yeah. Nix with you for a second. You know, he I, – I really, you know, came into last year thinking that, that Bo Nix was really going to take, you know, the next step uh, as, far, as far as being a quarterback, being really polished in the SEC – under Gus Malzahn and Chad Morris, but that didn't happen. You know, he was, he got to the point, you know, during the, during the season where he really looked disconnected, disengaged, but, but, but speaking of, of NIL, I really, and the Milo Sweet Teeth, you know, sponsoring Bo Nix now, I think this new offense, the Brian Harson Mike Bobo blended offense is really going to be uh, the sugar. You talk about the Milo Sweet Tea is going to be the sugar that, uh that kind of hypes up Bo Nix a little bit. You know, there, there's going to be, you know, just watching what Mike Bobo did last year uh, at South Carolina, if you're an Auburn fan, you you should be excited about the the season that Tank Bigsby's about to have. What he what he did with Kevin Harris uh, in the run game last year at South Carolina and being able to to you know on a on an offense where you know they were going to run the football, they were going to stack the box. They only had one weapon on the outside in Shai Smith, and but to me, if you're if you're an Auburn fan, you should be really be excited about uh, what Tank Bigsby's about to do uh, in this Brian Harson Mike Bobo offense. But but kind of getting under center a little bit, being able to mm-hmm. to run the play action, especially yeah. when you got a great you know running back in Tank Bigsby. It's really I think it's really going to help out that offensive line. I don't think Bo Nix is going to be scrambling for his life on every play, throwing off his back foot like he was a lot last year. But kind of freezing those defensive ends and linebackers getting under center. I think really the change of pace is going to be really good for him in this new offense. I think you're right. Um, and I also think the competition we, we touched on a little bit earlier with TJ Finley, I, I think that's going to be huge. You saw it in the spring. There was a lot more under center instead of being in the shotgun or the pistol. They got to get him out of some, some bad habits. He liked to throw off his back foot, like to leave the pocket instead of stepping up into the pocket. All those type things that Brian Harson has been working on and all indications are that he's taken to it. So I think with the competition, the new coaching staff, you mentioned Bobo, having a running back like Tank Bigsby that you can hand the ball off, that's going to be huge. And it's going to be the development of the wide receivers. A young group uh, with Seth Williams gone, they're going to have to find a couple guys to kind of step up. Obviously, they got a big transfer um, from Georgia here just a couple days ago. So they're looking to him for veteran leadership. Um, Auburn, this is going to be kind of a, a turnaround year. We on our show this week, we actually had one of our major topics was, you know, where do you think Auburn's going to fill, you know, in regards to that, how many wins? And it was right around seven to eight, you know, maybe the ceiling being eight, nine, if things got real crazy, they haven't won a football game in Baton Rouge since 1999. So you can go ahead and mark that down as a loss. But the third game of the season is very interesting. They go to Penn State. A lot of Alabama, excuse me, a lot of Auburn fans believe that's going to be a win based on the fact that Penn State had a horrible 2020. Well, this is a different football team. And you're going on the road for the first time, Brian Harson is, going to play a Big Ten team. It's going to be a whiteout. It's going to be a crazy atmosphere. They're in Happy Valley at Beaver Stadium. So at that standpoint, you know, what happens in that game might be a little barometer of, of what could happen moving forward because then you got LSU. Like I mentioned, they hadn't won there since 1999. You've got Georgia. You've got Bama. Those games are at home. We've seen crazy things happen in the series between those teams. Um, so it, a seven to eight win season, I think if you're an Auburn fan, you'll be like, you know what? We'll take that. This is a this is a building process. Now, if they go the other direction, then that's going to tell you that this program was even in worse shape than it was before they got rid of Gus Malzahn. One of the, one of the things that yeah, I agree definitely. One of the things that's going to be a key is who are you throwing the ball to? You know, to me, Auburn and, and South Carolina really resemble each other. It's funny that, that Mike Bobo went from from South Carolina to Auburn because he kind of kind of landed on the same set of problems, but mm-hmm. he but he. You know, 
getting Demetrius Robertson was really big over the past couple of days for Georgia. Not only is he is he a guy that, that can come in and catch a lot of passes, he also gives you a lot of SEC experience doing really an inexperienced room. I think he's definitely going to be a guy that, that really can step in and play well. Zevian Capers is another guy. Elijah Candy, Kobe Hudson, those those wide receivers, but but the, the tight ends, you know, I know Auburn's not used to not used to throw into the tight ends, but the tight ends in this new offense like can really be big with uh with Shanker and Deal. I think they're gonna have tremendous seasons as well. Yeah, that's one thing. Again, I think Auburn fans will probably stand up and do the polite golf clap when you see a tight end catch a pass because it, it really hasn't been very much into their offensive scheme. So I think you're going to see that. You mentioned the young wide receiver group. Uh, another wide receiver to keep your eye on, his name is Javaris Johnson. Uh, I was able to cover him in high school. And you want to talk about one of the fastest kids I've ever covered in high school. Reminds me a lot of Noah Igbignogany that, that played at Auburn. He was a wide receiver for when he first went down to Auburn, and then he converted – to a defensive back, and he's now playing in the NFL with the Miami Dolphins. Um, Johnson is quick. He's speedy. And he's short in stature, but he's fast. I think they could utilize him on special teams, lining him up in the slot. I think it's – and he's got great hands. So I think it's it's a kid that you're going to see continue to progress. He had a really good spring uh, workouts, uh, heard his name a lot for Auburn. So – those young guys are going to grow up quick, and I think the way Harson will develop that offense, whether it's these nice throws to the tight end or these quick outs to these slot receivers, things of that nature kind of build the confidence of not only Bo Nix, but also the young receiving group. And I think Auburn is in store for a good season. Now, is it going to be battling for the SEC West? No. But is it going to be better than what they experienced last year and some of the other frustrations? The answer to that is yes. Yeah, there, there's no doubt about that. I mean, per, personally, I think Auburn's definitely going to get to seven, if not eight wins. You know, this year, I think that could be that could you know, a great a building block. You talk about this, the little bit of slow start in recruiting that Brian Harson's had, which to, which is to be expected. A lot of his staff is is new to the area, not trying to establish what their recruiting footprint's going to be there at Auburn. But but to me, having a great season, like a seven eight win season, can also really propel you. Uh, in recruiting as well while you're still trying to establish that footprint. Yeah, one of the things that that Auburn – it probably hurt Auburn more than any other school in the SEC was not having kids on campus because for those that's ever been to Jordan-Hare Stadium, when the Auburn football program is on fire and they're playing good football, that is one of the toughest, if not the toughest, place in the SEC to win a football game. And when you invite 17-, 18-year-old kids to come on a Saturday night down on the plains to a football game, it's electric. I mean, and it's it kind of sells itself. But because of the pandemic, people not being able to come to campus, I think that hurt Auburn. And then you had a coaching change about a week before first signing day. So it was a confluence of things that just was not optimal for Auburn to be successful when it came to recruiting last year. But I think Harson and his staff, they've done a really nice job in the transfer portal. I think they've been able to go grab guys that's been able to build depth, been able to put them in positions that they felt the need for. And that's kind of what the transfer portal, if you're a head coach, that that's what it's meant for, not to go pirate kids, but being able to see kids that's in the portal that can be able to help you guys immediately for whatever need. So, And I think Auburn has done that, and I think that it's going to pay dividends during the season for the Auburn Tigers. Yeah, I definitely agree. And then we're here with Pat Smith, co-host of Three Man Friday. Just does an incredible job over there, over there with Landrum. We got a, got a, some new times. I'll let it, let it plug that as we wind the show down here. But then, but then Pat kind of switching over uh, to the East a little bit. You know, personally, you know, it's Georgia and everybody else. But but to me, the bigger question is not will Georgia win the East. I think that's a, a foregone conclusion based on you know based on the the talent gap between between them and everybody else right now. But but we kind of heard the the questions, you know, who's going to be the first assistant to beat Nick Saban? Is this is this Kirby Smart's best opportunity? Is this his best team to to win a national championship? And and when I look at it, you know, I really think it is. You know, you look at look at you know the kind of the concerns they had over the George Pickens injury, but they go into the portal, they find Eric Gilbert, the tight end that's going to be a weapon. You know, questions in the secondary. They go out and find Tyke Smith and Darian Kendrick in the portal. Jordan Davis, obviously, uh, man's right. that de- defensive line 
up front. They just do an incredible job. Kirby and those guys do it, and Coach Lanny do a great job on the defensive side of the ball. But but to me, the key for Georgia this year is I don't know if I, I've yet to see, and the reason that I've kind of gone back and forth on, on Georgia and Alabama is I don't know if Kirby is going to open up the offense yet with, with JT Daniels. Now, you like to think uh, that he is with Todd Munkin being more creative, creating those explosives down the field. But but in your mind, is this is this Georgia's best opportunity to to unseat uh, Nick Saban in Alabama? And 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 ultimately, who do you think is that first guy that that beats Nick Saban uh, as an assistant? Well, I mean, I will say this: um, if Texas A and M were to beat Alabama this year, obviously Jimbo, a former Saban, it it would not surprise me it, in the least because what Texas A and M is going to be this year. Um, would it surprise me if Kirby Smart beat Alabama in the SEC championship game? The answer to that is no. Until it happens, I'm going to say it's not going to happen, okay? Um, not being an Alabama homer, being in, in Birmingham, I'm just saying until I see it happen. But to answer your question, I do believe that this is the best opportunity uh, for Kirby to be able to, to knock Nick Saban off. What Georgia has coming back, what the potential is at quarterback, um, got a dynamic duo in the backfield with Zamir White and Cook. So that's – check that box. That That's big. Um, you mentioned uh, on the defensive side of things, I think they're going to be as strong as ever. They needed some guys in the secondary, and what they do, they went and filled that need in the, in the transfer portal. But the biggest question that I have for Georgia has to do with week one against Clemson. How do they react? Now – that's a double-ended question, answer, however you want to put it. Because if they beat Clemson, and based on their schedule, not being tested again, so to speak, for the rest of the year, do they become complacent? If they lose to Clemson, does that mean that you refocus and you say, we still got a prize, which is winning the East and going to Atlanta, and you're still in great position to win an SEC championship and play for the college football playoff. That to me is the biggest question about this football team. You already have debates from people saying, well, if they lose to Clemson, you know, there's no way based on their schedule the rest of the season and how bad the SEC East is going to be. I mean, Heather Dennett from ESPN said the SEC East is like the worst division in all of college football. So, but if they're a one loss team and we know how the SEC is, and they get to the SEC championship game against Alabama, and they beat Alabama, Alabama and Georgia's going to the college football playoff. I mean, you can spray paint it on the wall. That yep. That's going to happen. Um, but, if again, if they lose to Clemson, they, they cannot slip up and lose at the cocktail party in Jacksonville. You know, they can't let Kentucky pull a rabbit out of their hat. You know, they, that cannot happen. That, the wiggle room is zero, Bennett from that standpoint. But if you beat Clemson, you can go ahead and book your hotel rooms in Atlanta and then possibly book it for the college football playoff after that because I think even if they lose to Alabama, they're undefeated. They're still going to the college football playoff. So I think he might have two cracks at Nick Saban when it's all said and done. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely, definitely agree with that. You know, you think about both of those teams uh, going undefeated. You know, there, there's going to be some other teams out there. You know, there's going to be Clemson. There's going to be Oklahoma, who I think this is Lincoln Riley's best opportunity to win an don't forget about Iowa. Don't forget about Iowa State over there yep. in the Big 12 because, I, you know, Oklahoma and Iowa State might end up playing each other twice. And then depending on, on how that works out, then all of a sudden you could have those two teams talking about potentially going to the college football playoff. Not two SEC teams, but two Big 12 teams. Yeah, there, there's definitely definitely going to be when you talk about two, you talk about opportunities to to make the playoff. Definitely, the Big Twelve and the SEC definitely can get. There's a possibility for them to get two teams in the playoff this year, and then and then you know, kind of kind of switching to the to the rest of the East. We talk about Kentucky, Missouri, and Florida. Talk about the the kind of the top tier. Obviously, Georgia. The gap between Georgia and everybody else is going to be pretty wide, but but ultimately, how do you see the the rest of the East uh, playing out? You know, personally, I think Florida's gonna. And uh, we kind of talked about it last time. Personally, Florida, I think, is gonna 
and take a step back. Now, this is no knock on on Dan Mullins' yeah. coach, uh, no knock on on Dan Mullins' coaching ability at all. He's one of the best offensive minds that there is. If I had to to draw up a play, I'd pick him to draw it up. But would you you just think about their defense last year? Just think about how bad they were and the talent they lost on offense. That you just think you just have to think that they're going to take a step back and and Kentucky. They got a new offensive coordinator and Liam Cohen that comes over from the Rams. They're they're actually going to throw some 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 forward passes this year. You know, Lexington, can can you imagine that? If you're you're a Kentucky fan, though, you kind of gotten tired of the the Eddie Grand offense the last yeah. few years. But but it'll be also they have a, a interesting quarterback battle developing. I know Bo Allen's a guy that that was there during the spring, but Will Levis is coming in uh, from Penn State, who I've I've seen a lot of people. I think that he can really challenge for that for that job. A guy that Mark Stoops has has talked about, and then then Missouri, you know, they've they're probably going to be a little a little weak on defense. They're just from losing Nick Bolton. They've lost several guys on defense to the yeah. transfer portal. But Connor Basilak in that offense with Coach Drinkwitz, now he's a he's a wizard offensively as well. You know, they're going to be able to put up a lot of points. But but ultimately, how do you see the the rest of the East shaking out? Well, obviously, Georgia the cakewalk in the East. Um, I still have Florida. I have Florida number two. I have Kentucky coming in next. Uh, Wendell Robinson, an out- outstanding transfer from Nebraska, coming back to his home state. Um, he's going to be big offensively for the Wildcats. I like their offensive line. I think their offensive line is going to be one you're going to hear a lot of people talk about uh, throughout the season. I've got them third. I've got Mizzou coming in right behind Kentucky. Um, I think Eli Drinkowitz is going to do a fantastic job. Just give him a little bit of time. Basilic obviously um, had a really good uh, completion percentage last year. I think it was like 67, 68%. Didn't throw a lot of interceptions. It's going to be key. They got a couple playmakers. Uh, got a wide receiver coming over from Ohio State. Uh, that's going to be big. Um, and then Tennessee, South Carolina, and Vanderbilt. To me, those three teams, this is a building process. And if you look at those three teams and when they play each other, depending on who beats who, I think that's going to end up being your pecking order in regards to the last three teams. Um, I love Kevin Harris. I've said it on a radio show even last year. I just love the way he runs. I just I – mean, he's a football player. I really enjoy watching him play. I think he's going to be key, be key. I think Beamer's done an outstanding job recruiting so far. Um, it's going to take a few years, obviously, to, to get up to the SEC personnel that you need to compete in the East. Heupel, they got decimated by the transfer portal. The defense is going to be weak uh, when two of your top players are going to end up playing elsewhere this fall. So that's going to be big. And Clark Lee has got a monumental thing in front of him. But he played there. He knows Nashville. So it could be a situation he could make the best of it and try to put this program back on the footing that they hadn't seen since James Franklin. Yeah, that that that's definitely true. Not uh, personally for me, I've got I've got South Carolina ahead of Tennessee, but that's just because of the the head to head. I think the Gamecocks ultimately do uh, go to Knoxville and win. They've had some success uh, there in the last last you know couple trips that, that yeah. they've been and and you know kind of. I thought it would be be fun to, to kind of kind of wrap up uh, the show here by since we are heading towards uh, SEC media days. I thought we'd go ahead and and throw out uh, throw out our picks for uh, SEC Player of the Year and and SEC Ooh. SEC Coach of the Year. So so when you think about SEC Player of the Year, who who are guys that, that comes to mind for you? Well, obviously uh, the quarterback play is going to be so important. Um, man, that's a great question. I need to start really thinking about that since I'll be voting on that next week. Um, and this is your opportunity, Pat, to kind of, kind of get that, kind of get those thoughts flowing. I, I, I did this for you. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to think. Um, obviously, you got to say, you know, whoever the top running back is at Alabama, right? You've always got to say that, so you can pick numerous guys on that. Uh, I think Matt Corral will be in the discussion. I think he's going to put up some really good numbers at Ole Miss. I think Tank Bigsby is someone that's going to be in that conversation. On the Eastern side, I would have to say JT Daniels just again because I think he's going to be in a position to to be extremely successful um, if they open it up. 
Um, I'm, I'm trying to think. Um, heck, I'll throw Kevin Harris in there. I'll have Kevin. You know, why not? Um, but very typically, it's going to be whatever whatever hot-handed quarterback, you know, whether that's going to be Bryce Young, whether that's going to be Haynes King at Texas A&M. I mean, listen, if we were doing this show a year ago, do you think any of us would have picked Mac Jones as the SEC potential player of the year? No. No. I can tell you. I, I cover Alabama. I would have told you no. If you'd have told me that he'd have been a top 15 pick in the NFL, I'd say, hey, you've been out, you know, with the model plane glue. I mean, you know, I mean, I'd just be like, what are you talking about? Um, nothing against him. It was just the fact that we hadn't seen it. So there's always going to be that guy in the SEC. That's what makes SEC football so awesome. Been covering it since 1993. And the beauty of it is that there's always going to be somebody that all of us in the media weren't concentrating on, and they're going to come up, and they're going to play their tails off, and they're going to put their team in a position to win, and they're going to be in the conversation for potentially the SEC player of the year. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's no doubt. I mean, if if people would have said that that Mac Jones was was going to be the SEC Player of the Year or last year, we would have we would have thought they were crazy. But yeah, to, to me, I kind of go back and forth. Or Kyle know. Trask. I mean, think about this, Kyle Trask. I mean, yeah. who would have thought that you would have been talking about Mac Jones or Kyle Trask for the Heisman Trophy seven weeks into an All SEC schedule? I mean, nobody would have predicted that. Yeah, like to me, I think to me, my SEC player of the year, if I had to pick right now, would be Matt Corral. I think he's just going to have a an outstanding year. You know, when you th- you think about, it, they lost Elijah Moore uh, in that receiving group, lost Kenny Yaboa, but but Braylon Sanders is a guy that this can be that put up those Elijah Moore type numbers. Hudson Wolf's a tight end at Ole Miss that that I'm that I really like. So I think I think Matt Corral has kind of become a, a glorified quarterback award. Uh, anyway, so I think I would go with with Matt Corral. But but what about SEC Coach of the Year? You know, it's, it's kind of kind of become a, a popularity contest a little bit. Yeah, it was surprising. Uh, you know, Nick Saban won it last year. Of, of, <laughs> of, all, of all the times, you know, Nick Saban's never won it, and then he finally gets it last year. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to predict whoever beats Nick Saban. If it's Jimbo, Jimbo gets it. If it's Kirby. Kirby gets it. So that's the de facto SEC coach of the year, in my opinion, whoever beats Saban. I, def- I definitely agree with that. If, if Kirby or, or Jimbo knock off uh, Coach Saban, they get to the playoff. I think they're definitely uh, SEC coaches of the year. But but to me, a guy that, that's a little bit under the radar, I don't know if he's a guy that, that is going to be talked about next week, but, but to me, a guy that – can really make a claim for SEC Coach of the Year if his team gets to a bowl game is Shane Beamer. I mean, if when you think about the schedule, you know, you're probably going to have to start out five and two in order to get to a bowl game. But that that back half of that schedule, you, know, you go to A&M, you got Florida, Missouri, Auburn, and Clemson. If they can find a way to win one or two of those games, get to six or seven wins, get to a bowl game, you know, you're talking about a team that's won six games the last two years. I think Shane Beamer could be a really good uh, candidate for SEC Coach of the Year. Uh, I don't think there's any question because I was about to say whether it's Shane Beamer, whether it's Heupel, whether it's Clark Lee, if they find themselves above 500 any way, shape, or form, I think you're going to get a ton of votes for those guys because, you know, with the schedule and the crossover schedules for these teams – I mean, you, you look at what Tennessee's got to do. They got Bama and Ole Miss as their crossover games. So, and I saw something this morning that they had Tennessee going to a bowl game. I mean, if Tennessee is bowl eligible and they go to a bowl game, Heupel might get some votes. I mean, because seriously, but based on what they have lost and the mess that he is trying to clean up, that would be monumental for them. So, I agree with you. I, I think if Beamer uh, plays his cards right and he has the kind of season that he is potentially capable of, then yeah. I, I could see that very easily. Yeah, like I, I definitely could, especially especially when you talk about you know, the the front half of the schedule. Definitely need to get to to at least five wins if you want to go to a bowl game, and then and then steal one uh, at the end. So if he does that, I think he's definitely a. When we talk about the the last five games of the year, I think he's definitely 
a guy that people need to be watching out for. But, but Pat, it's always a pleasure, my friend. We'll definitely have to to do this again before the season starts and, and during the season as well. But, but tell everybody where they can find you on social media. I know you guys have had some some programming changes at uh, Jocks 94.5, so I'll let you uh, plug that as well where uh, Three Man Front is right now because you and Landrum do an incredible job. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, yes, uh, you can follow me at Pat Smith Radio on Twitter, on Instagram, on social media channels. And you can hear us Monday through Friday on Jocks 94.5 FM here in Birmingham and in Huntsville and in Montgomery. It's a statewide network that we originate here in Birmingham. Three-man front, Landrum Roberts, as you mentioned, and myself, we're the co-host of the program, and we anchor middays on Jocks 94.5. So you get a chance, download the Jocks 94.5 app real easy, a click away, and you can listen to us. I know you take advantage of that to kind of keep up with what's going on down here in the Magic City. So uh, I appreciate it as always, Bennett. You, you do a fantastic job. Always an honor to be on Talk Ball with you. So feel free to call me anytime. Well, thanks so much, Pat. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, download that, download that Jocks 94.5 app if you're not in the, the Birmingham area because uh, if you want the, the best on, on Alabama and Auburn, definitely those guys over there like Pat, they, they definitely do an incredible job. And, and Pat, it's just a it's hope you stay safe and well. And, and we're almost, almost to the football season. I look forward to, to catching up with you after SEC Media Days. Sounds good, Bennett. Take care, brother. Thank you. Thank you so much to Pat for coming on today. And thank you for watching and listening to Crunch Time Plays today. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. It's been another edition of Crunch Time Plays. God bless everybody.